Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, until further notice, we are not meeting physically in the church building and instead are live streaming our worship service on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We hope you will join us either on our website or on our Facebook page for worship. Now, here is this week's message. Well, good morning. Today we're continuing our series called The New You, where we're looking at, well, the new us in Christ Jesus. We're just walking through the book of Ephesians, and I hope you've joined us. We're really actually at the end, and so if you haven't been following along, if you haven't been uh, hearing, or if you haven't heard all the sermons, you can go back online and listen. This is actually the second to last one. Next week will be our last week, and today we are finishing up the household code sections. If you remember, two weeks ago, we looked at the husband-wife relationship. We looked at what a biblical marriage is. Last week, we looked at the parent-child relationship, and we learned how it should be different now that we are in Christ. Today, we're continuing talking about the household, and we're going to talk about a very important first-century household relationship. And this section of scripture that we're going to go over is so important for you to understand the gospel and all of its implications. What we're going to talk about is one of the most groundbreaking and important sections in this entire letter. But at first glance, you may see it and say, well, this is, this is utterly irrelevant to us. In fact, you may even think it's outdated and flat-out barbaric. You may say, well, Brian, that shouldn't even be in the Bible. This can cause us to push against our faith. But if we were to pause, and if we were to allow this scripture to be read in light of the first century music playing in the background, we would see how beautiful this section really is. Because today we're going to learn all about the slave-master relationship. And when I know you hear that, the idea of slave-master relationship, it can bring up all sorts of emotions. And this is when we got to be very careful as Bible readers not to project our 21st century understanding back into the first century. In fact, we have to be careful as Americans with a long history of terrible slavery in our country not to project that back into the first century. While I don't have time to go in detail over all the differences between the, the first century and um, what slavery happened here or throughout the world, while we don't have time to go over all those, we could both agree that we wish Paul just said, well, slavery's illegal. That if you're in Christ, you can't own slaves. But see, Paul doesn't say that. But instead, he flips slavery upside down and inside out. And a common question you may have is, well, does that mean, does that, mean that Paul believes slavery was a good thing? No. Here, N.T. Wright, the scholar N.T. Wright helps us out with this. Here's what he says. He says, the answer is that Paul could no more envision a world without slavery than we can envision a world without electricity. Most of what the modern world takes for granted, television, computers, and a million lesser inventions are impossible without electricity. And yet for most of human history, it was unknown. In the same way, 
The way Paul's world worked was through slaves taking a vital place in most households except the very poor. You see, one thing we have to remember is when we read and approach the Bible, social issues are not the primary focus. They're not telling you what's wrong and right in a culture. What they are talking about is how the gospel should impact our lives. You see, Paul isn't a politician. He's not running for office. He's not trying to create a new government. He is, however, an apostle of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the, new, the good news in Christ Jesus and how you can be new in him. You see, Paul is literally trying to teach people in the first century how the gospel applies to their first century world. And for us, that means we have to continue to think about the implications of the gospel. We have to continue to think through how the gospel applies to the 21st century. For instance, Paul never writes about how the gospel impacts what we look up on the internet. He never writes how we behave on social media in light of the gospel. He doesn't touch those issues because those weren't his issues. That's our context. That's our job to take the gospel and all of its implications and learn how it affects us every single day. So for Paul, slavery was just a normal part of life. He didn't know of a world without slavery. And one key difference that's important, especially for us as Americans to understand, is that slavery back then had nothing to do with racism. It wasn't based on that. Scholar Mark Roberts explains. He says, racial factors play no role. Education was greatly encouraged. Some slaves were better educated than their owners and enhanced a slave's value. Many slaves carried out sensitive and highly responsible social functions. Slaves could own property, including other slaves. I mean, can you believe that? Their religious and cultural traditions were the same as those of the freeborn. No laws prohibited public assembly of slaves. And perhaps above all, the majority of urban domestic slaves could legitimately anticipate being emancipated by the age of 30. So slavery was different back then. I mean, that's just how the world worked. Slaves were educated, sometimes more than their owners, and people could in fact sell them slaves into slavery. But while it was different, we can never forget that slavery was a thing where people owned people. And the quality of a slave's life was dependent upon their owners. For instance, if we were compared today, the quality of your job is based on the owner of the company or, or your boss. If your boss creates a good work environment, well, you probably enjoy your job. If your boss doesn't create it and people are backstabbing and people are always competing and, and that kind of thing, well, you may not enjoy your job as much. No, of course, I'm not saying our work and slavery are the same. I'm saying that slavery in the first century was largely dependent upon the owners. How they treated their slaves impacted how the slaves lived and where they lived and what they ate and what they interacted with. And so Paul's going to directly speak to that. You see, Paul doesn't outlaw slavery. Instead, he flips it around upside down and inside out. And if we grab hold of this, we can see how transformational the gospel should be in our lives and in the lives of others. 
So first up, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to go to verse 9. Just a couple of verses this morning. He says this, slaves. So he's talking to the slaves. We see that. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with all sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Well, first, notice Paul is addressing slaves, meaning he thought slaves were a part of the local church. This wasn't just for the elite society. This just wasn't for people who were free. He's addressing slaves, knowing that they can be in Christ Jesus like everybody else. And second, notice he's talking to them as if they're in the congregation. They're a part of the church. Back then, they would have gathered together and slaves would have been right along with their masters in the service. You know, in our country, slaves, if they were allowed to worship, had to sit in the balcony in some places or had to have their own church. But no, they were a part of the church. And so when Paul writes to slaves, he tells them, basically, check your motives. He says, listen, don't just do good things when your owner's around. Don't do good things just when they can see. Do good things all the time. He's telling them, to have a, telling them to have a life of integrity. You know, now serve from your heart, meaning serve God, serve the will of God from your heart, and you being in Christ should be the driving factor of everything you do. And then he says this, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So he tells them, listen, change the way you're looking at this. You're not there serving them. I mean, you are, but in reality, you're serving the Lord. So work, not how they look at you, not how, what they do to you, but work as if you were working for the Lord. Because let's be honest, how often is our performance based on how our boss treats us? Well, if he's going to act like that, I'm not going to do any work today. Well, if they're going to say that, well, I'm just going to sit back and relax. He said, no, 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 we don't act like that. We don't serve them how, we don't serve people and we don't work as we think they deserve. We now do it differently. We do it for God. So it's pretty simple. He says, do your best no matter what's happening, no matter what's going all around you. He says, because the Lord will reward you. And you got to find this amazing. This is important to think through because you and I, we, we can get so caught up with what we aren't doing and what we don't have. We can look all around at the people who are gifted, have this great leadership or this great company or doing these great things for the Lord. We can look all around and think, hey, well, God must really love them. That God must, you know, he's just going to reward them. Because of what they're doing, they're, they're going to get all sorts. No, Paul says, no. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or if you're, if you're a slave or if you're a master. You're going to be rewarded for the Lord by what you do. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a slave or free. It doesn't matter if you're a low-level worker or you're the CEO. God's not basing your rewards on your position in society. He's saying that no longer has anything to do with the Lord's favor on your life. And they're going, you mean... What does that mean, Paul? Well, if we turn to 1 Corinthians 7, he, he speaks directly to slaves. Look at what he says. 1 Corinthians 7, 21. He says, were you a slave when you were called? He says, don't let that trouble you. 
Meaning, whatever situation you find yourself in before you come to the Lord, don't let it bother you. Don't assume you're not value. Don't assume that he doesn't love you. Because God can use you no matter what you're doing, no matter what your title is, no matter where you work or what your education is. None of that matters to him. God can use you. No matter how much you may think others or society looks down, God can still use you. It's so easy to think that if I was in a different position, if I was in a different place, then I could really serve the Lord. But understand that when you meet Jesus, you are now valuable and important, and it's not about you being good enough because he is great enough. And when he is great enough, you can do what he's asked you to do. So it's not about your career. It's about being faithful. Verse 21, he said, were you a slave when you were called? Well, don't let that trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Here's this point. Hey, you should be content no matter what you're doing, but if you can make it better, go for it. Go for it. He says, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's free person. Wait, wait, listen to what he's saying. If you were a slave and then you have come to Christ, you are now free in Christ. It's like, okay, I get it, so slave but free, but they're still a slave, but they've been freed in Christ. Yeah, you get what he's saying, yeah. So now they're free. However, the one who is a free man when called is Christ's slave. Hmm. Listen, we are both free and a slave. Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin. Christ has set us free from the things that want to grab hold of us and be idols and things that we worship. Christ has set us free from all of that, but yet we're free to serve. So it doesn't matter what position you are in. We're in the same boat. We have all been set free by Christ, but yet because Christ has set us free, we serve. So it doesn't matter if you're free. It doesn't matter if you're a slave. You're in the exact same position. Then he says, and you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. You see, what's going on here is the fact that back then, if you were to get in trouble, if you were to get in debt or something like that, instead of declaring bankruptcy, yeah, you could just sell yourself into slavery. If you found yourself homeless or your job situation wasn't working out, you could sell yourself into slavery because a lot of times they had it better. So they'd have a house, they'd have meals, They'd have it better, so they would do. And he's saying, yeah. He's saying, although some of you may look for that, don't do that because you've been purchased by Christ. Because if you attach yourself to somebody else, you still have that master. He's saying, no, no, no. Allow Christ to be your master. And then he says this. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. He says, deal with whatever you have to deal with. This is challenging, but instead of focusing on things that you don't like, instead of focusing the things that aren't your fault, instead of being a victim all the time, come on, let's be honest, lean in, let me ask you, do you always victimize everything? I was like, yeah, I know, but don't let that stop you. Just remain in it. You can move to a better future, but don't let all these other excuses and labels stop you from serving the Lord. His point is that we are so consumed with labels and titles. We are so consumed thinking we're not good enough because we're one click away from someone's highlight reels on social media, comparing our life to theirs, just thinking we're not good enough. And we end up focusing on the wrong things. So we start thinking, well, 
Well, I need this to get better before I can do anything, or I need this to happen before I can do anything. He says, no, no matter what position you were in, even if you were a slave, continue, continue to serve the Lord in that. Let's be honest. How many times have you thought this? Well, I'll start giving more when I make more, or I'll start giving when I make more. Well, studies show chances are you won't. Just because you make more money doesn't mean you have more free money. Because you just buy a bigger house or more cars or more clothes or you save more. Just because you make more doesn't mean you automatically give more. So we start with where we're at. And if he chooses to bless us, you continue to give. And maybe you felt, well, you know, I would love to serve. I'd love to be a part of church. But, you know, I got these kids. They're in school and they're in sports and they're in plays. And then they're in more sports and then there's more sports. And then they want to take ballet. I mean, I get it. My schedule's busy too. And we think that, hey, once all that stops, then I'll get on board with what the Lord's doing. But did you know once your kids leave the house, you're just going to find more things to do? We're all busy. And he's teaching them, he's teaching us that no matter where we're at, no matter that what you're doing, no matter what your position is, you can serve the Lord. Don't focus on the excuses. Here's what he eventually says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever vocation, whether it's uh, whatever career or parenting or marriage, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. This means the new you in Jesus Christ, whatever you do, you do it for God's glory. It's not about your glory, it's about God's glory. And this is what he's teaching a slave. Do things for the glory of God. Because if there's anyone who had a reason to complain, if there's anyone who could be set up mad at life circumstances, it was them. But he says, no, continue to do what you do for God. Come on, let's be honest. How often do you get so distracted and you get so caught up in what's not fair and you let that derail you rather than take whatever you've been given, wherever you're at, whatever career you're in, and you just do your best at it for the glory of God. I mean, why not? Why complain? How does that help you anyways? You see, our motivation in life isn't fairness. Our motivation in life isn't our feelings. Our motivation in life is honoring God. Because life isn't fair, and I don't know why. You see, my kids growing up, I don't know who teaches this them, but every kid eventually starts claiming that life isn't fair. So at three years old, Troy would walk around and say, life, it's not fair, daddy, it's not fair. And Troy, I felt, you know, obligated as his father to just impart some wisdom on this young boy. And so every time he'd say life wasn't fair, he heard back, you're right, life isn't fair, and the sooner you realize it, the better off you'll be. Life isn't fair but we can still bring God glory. Even in the midst of unfairness, perhaps we can bring him even more glory. So, going to Ephesians 6, 9. Paul finished up. He told, he told the slaves to serve as if they're serving the Lord in whatever they do. Then he says this, Ephesians 6, 9, and masters, masters' heads would have poked up. Yep, what do we gotta do? He says, treat your slaves in the same way. Everybody's mind was blown. The slaves would have been stood up trying to applaud this one. They would have watched out, but they would have been excited. That's right. 
And this just blows everybody's mind because the main verb in this section is to obey. So how can a slave obey their master? That doesn't make sense. But if you remember what I've been teaching you is that Ephesians 5.21 is the bridge verse. That's the verse that bridges the rest of his letter to the household section. Where Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul has already shown how all Christians should be submissive. We should have the submissive posture like Christ. And then he really explains it in detail how husbands and wives, what that looks like to submit. He talks about the parent and child relationship and what that looks like to submit. And now he talks about the slave and the master situation and what that looks like to submit. What Paul is saying is that the owners, they should, the way they treat their slaves should be governed by their relationship to Christ. They should treat them how they would treat Christ. How they are to do everything, how the slaves are to do everything they should for the glory of God. So too should the masters treat them a certain way for the glory of God. And this is mind-blowing. And if we were to grab hold of this, if we would see what Paul is doing to slavery, Paul is setting a time bomb on slavery and it's about to explode. If people would wrestle with the Bible and read it in its context and truly listen to them, we can see that Paul is starting the human rights movements. Paul is starting to say, yeah, no, we're all equal. He's about to get there. But this just blows up everything. Look at what he says. He says, and do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their masters and yours is in heaven. So check that out. He's like, Christ is their master. Would you think about threatening Christ's slave or God's son? Like, no, we would never do that. Well, they're a child of God in Christ. Are you threatening a child of God? I mean, do you understand who his father is or her father is? He said, no, no, don't threaten them. Because do you know who they really serve? Do you understand whose servant they truly are? And he says, and there is no favoritism with him. And the whole congregation got quiet. Don't threaten them. Don't threaten to take their job away. Don't threaten to take their kids away if they don't, aren't doing good enough. You don't treat them like that. He says, because Jesus is their master. So listen to this. Who is in charge? Yeah, that's right, Jesus. If you said Jesus, you were right. When we get that settled, we will have so much better relationships. I have seen so many churches, so many relationships, so many marriages just explode because everybody wants power. Everybody wants authority. They want it their way. But if we understand that the gospel has settled it, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all, according to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, he says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, being him. You see, he is in charge. We may have duties, we may have responsibilities, but Jesus is the one in charge. It's not our rodeo, it's his. And there is no favoritism. Whether you're slave or free, there's no favoritism. It doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter what color your skin is, it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter your last name, and it doesn't matter your bank account. God's not showing favoritism based on any of those things. And this goes against first century wisdom. Perhaps it goes against what you've thought. People back then, and perhaps you think, well, what I have shows how blessed I am. 
Look at all my toys. Look at all my cars. Look at all my fun stuff. If I have all this, surely that means God loves me. Look at the quantity of things. That's not what God looks at. That's not what he's judging. God doesn't judge us by our stuff. He judges us by our faithfulness. And a lot of times that stuff becomes what we worship. You see, Paul takes slavery and flips it upside down and inside out. And if we grab hold of this, we can understand and we must understand that the gospel teaches us to really look at people different. The gospel really impacted their lives and should impact your life. You see, it's so easy to get to that marriage section and read it. Get to the children's section, depending on where you're at, whether or how you apply it. Children, obey. Listen, that's what the Bible says. And then we come to the slaves and go, that ah, shouldn't even be in there. But no, let it be in there. Let it sink in. Paul is saying that all people are valuable to God. Paul is changing the way an entire group of people, Christians, should think and act in society. Which brings up my first point. I got a standard three-point Baptist message for you this morning. Point number one, the gospel transforms our view and treatment of people. It's no longer about position. It's no longer about title. It's no longer about the diploma. It's no longer about the bank account. It's no longer about the last name. We're told, we're commanded to look at people differently because of Jesus Christ. We have a problem in the world of judging people by their outward appearance, whether it's their color, whether it's their gender, whether it's their car, whether it's their clothes. We have a problem of thinking if they look different, they must be bad because they're not like me. Paul says, in Christ, that's changed. We all have the same background now. Look at what he says in Galatians 3, 26 through 29. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, all that stuff, male, female, because at first glance, you go, well, hold on, there's no male or female. What's that mean? Listen, what he's saying is all those divisions that you used to divide over, being a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all that stuff that used to divide you, all that stuff you used to look down on people for, all of that stuff is gone now because in Christ, we are all children of God. We all have the same starting point, and that is Jesus Christ. So all the differences that you have don't matter. And what he does is Paul brings this. He says, then you are Abraham's seed according to his promises. What Paul does is he goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, to the calling of Abraham and the covenant that all people would, in the world would be blessed through him. He's saying if you're in Christ, that promise given to Abraham way back then, that promise now applies to you. You see, God desires all people to be saved. Not just rich people, not just white people, but God desires all people to be saved. So no matter what, back then especially, or perhaps now, I don't know, we don't go by how the law tells us to treat people. We go by the scriptures on how to treat people. We are to love others. It's point number two, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And this changes everything. We stop asking, is it legal? Am I allowed? Where's the line? 
Our main ethical concern is now, does this bring God glory in me doing it? Am I bringing God glory in my marriage? Am I bringing God glory at the workplace? This means no matter what you do, no matter where you work, you bring glory to God. If you're a teacher, then teach for the glory of God. If you sell cars, sell cars for the glory of God. If you work in an office, work in the office for the glory of God. This advice applies to everything we do is we don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it to make us known. We don't do it so we are famous and we get approval and that people love us and people care about us. No, no. We don't do things about us any longer. We do things for him because he's the one that matters. Which means wherever he has us serving, whatever he has us doing, we do it for his glory to the best of our abilities. And this means everybody should want to hire Christians. That being a Christian should be a checkbox on the application, not for discrimination purposes, but for hiring purposes. Meaning if they saw that checkbox, they go, yeah, we're hiring them. They're a Christian. Have you seen these guys? Their ethics are amazing. They have a massive amount of integrity. They have mercy, kindness, care, forgiveness, love. I mean, they're never backstabbing. They're not lording. Hey, I even put one as a manager. And they like served the employees. It was amazing. We should want that. That's how we should be known. They may think we're weird. They may think we believe weird things, but that's okay. (laughs) They should want to hire us because of what God has commanded us. And in us doing that, bringing him glory in the workplace, in those environments, will then shine the light of Christ into very dark places. And you may be the only opportunity somebody will have to see the gospel in action. So whatever we do, whether you're a manager or leader, or whether you just started at a company brand new as an intern, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Because we are all slaves of Christ. Remember Paul's point from Corinthians that we were bought with a price. We have been purchased. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for your sins and he died for my sins. And because of that, we are called to serve him. We have a master. The scriptures say it's either slave. Excuse me. We have a master. The scripture says it's either sin or it's Christ. But in Christ, we are now slaves to him. None of us are better off. Look at, look at what the book of Revelation says. Revelation 22, 1 through 5, it says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. So check this out. There's a great street in the city, and a river runs through it. It's pretty cool, right? On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit Every month. There's a great Sunday school question. Ask your Sunday school teacher what kind of fruit is going to be there. They'll have the answer for you. And it says, And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. That means no more crying, no more sickness, no more darkness. There will be no more sin, no more disease, no more pain. And it says, The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. This is important. That word servants is the same word for slaves. They just translate it different in different places. 
and his servants, that's you and I, will serve him. We are slaves of Christ for eternity. It says, and we will see, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Check this out. If you're looking forward to heaven, if you're excited about being with Christ for eternity, if you can't wait to get there, just know you're going there to be a slave of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what we'll do. Serve him. All of us are in that position. Because the gospel, and the gospel transforms the way we view people and the way we treat people. Which means whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God because we are slaves of Christ. You see, the gospel changes our relationships. It changes the way we relate to other people. And I ask, have you allowed the gospel to transform the way you treat and see people? Have you allowed the gospel to be your main motivation for living? Because this passage clearly challenges us to do that. And the most important relationship the gospel has changed is our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that we are all sinners deserving of God's wrath. But Christ died on the cross for our sins. He redeemed us. He purchased us with the shedding of his blood. So we can be set free. He died and was buried in a grave for three days, but then rose to conquer and defeat death. Christ came to restore, save, and redeem us. And because of what Christ has done, if you admit that you were a sinner, meaning you haven't been following God. If you believe in Christ works on the cross, meaning you can't do enough, you can't earn enough, and you can't work your way there, that that little hole inside of you, that darkness that fills, that thing that tells you you're not good enough, you'll never be able to outrun it. You gotta trust in the works of Jesus Christ for that. And if you accept his free gift of salvation and invite him to be Lord of your life, Lord, that's what Paul tells us, we gotta confess that he's Lord. Lord is master it means we are his servants. He's the one in charge. If we do that, we will be saved. I ask, have you done that? Have you committed your life to him? And if you're ready to do that, I want to walk you through a prayer to do that. And you got to understand, what you're doing in this prayer is simply admitting, confessing, accepting, and inviting Jesus into your life. In other words, you're repenting from who you used to be and you're believing in Jesus Christ. And if you're ready to do that this morning, just say this prayer with me. I'll say it with you. Dear Jesus, I thank you for making me and loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize I need you in my life and I'm sorry for all the sins I've done. I ask you to forgive me and I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Please help me understand you more. As much as I know how, I want to follow you from now on. Please come into my life and make me a new person inside. I accept your free gift of salvation, and I commit my life to you today. In Jesus' name. And Heavenly Father, I pray, and I'm so thankful if anybody prayed that, and now they are your children. I pray that they connect with our church and take their next step of faith. 
But Father, I pray that all of us here cling to Jesus and that we allow the gospel to transform our lives. Father, I pray that we just get that you are in charge and that the common human problem is that we want to be in charge and we want it our way. But I pray that we submit to your lordship. We submit to your leading in your way. Father, I pray that we allow the gospel to transform the way we look at and view people who are different people we don't understand, people who just come from a different place. I pray that we allow that we are all the same in Christ Jesus and that we reflect your glory in all that we do. Father, in the midst of all the uncertainty circling around us, Father, I help that you give us your peace. You help us shine the light of Christ in a simple and practical way to our neighbors when we're all scared and nervous. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.